Chapter 3 A Promotion The prison was a promotion. The move came with more money, better rank, a new uniform that he filled out more handsomely now that he was getting better food, and prospects of still further advancement. His wife was happy and proud. What he saw reflected in her eyes made him somewhat proud too. He greeted that unfamiliar feeling cautiously, but with a growing sense of hopefulness. They had their first child, a boy, who, with robust good nature, broke down all barriers put before him like a tiny cubby tank. He was a curly-haired ball of energy, and they loved to watch him doing all the ordinary, everyday things that build a human being. He could hardly believe the joy they felt just sitting near to one another, observing the boy at play, sleeping, or discovering his toes. The boy had his grandfather's name and was claiming a part of the world as his own, and it was all a wonder to see unfold. All things considered, though, despite his promotion, he was still a guard. He was no longer a guard of imaginary national boundaries. He was a keeper of men, bad men for the most part. Unlucky men, too, and men with a good claim to being victims of circumstance, but all men to be wary of, to keep a watchful eye on. He was given two weeks of training in a prison in the city. It was an old, grey, multi-storey building where the convicts were squeezed into small cells, and those cells were stacked tightly, one on top of the other, floor on top of floor. It was noisy and chaotic, like an anthill that had been infected by madness. There was a top layer of strict discipline, rules for everything, a time to wake, a time to wash, times to eat, times to sit crowded in dirty cells, and beneath that, nothing but chaos. Fights broke out for no other reason than the need to release built-up tension and energy. Drugs were sold and used in large quantities. The inmates lived messy, ugly lives, but riots were rare and few escaped, so it was judged to be so it was judged to be doing its job. After the two weeks, he secretly worried that he might not be able to hold his own for long in such a place, but he was determined to go ahead. This promotion was the best opportunity he was likely to be presented with for a long time to come. In truth, he was a little physically tougher than he would like to believe himself to be. His father had trained him in how to fight. Swift, extreme violence was closer to his soul, if such a thing existed, than he would like to reveal to his own son. His plan, his hope, was to move further away from being a physical agent of the state's monopoly on supposedly legitimate force as his career progressed. But he understood where he came from and what he had for the moment to sell. He lived in barracks at the city prison. When it was time to go to his new job, his little family and everything they owned was packed into a military truck and taken on the long journey to their future. The prison itself, when he finally arrived there, was in a far-flung, empty province that might have been placed on the earth exclusively for the purpose of providing the backdrop for a jail. His family were housed in a block of single-storey dwellings for staff less than two miles from the convicts, more motivation for the staff to do their jobs well. 
Their new home was much larger than their old apartment at the border. Its wooden walls as it had a strangely softened quality, as if the damp earth all around had infected their structure for so many years. From their kitchen window, they had a view of a flatness that seemed to encompass a whole world. All around them, there was nothing for the eye to rest on, no bearing to comfort the mind. There were only miles of featureless swamp. They had a day to learn the places that were safe and dangerous for their son to play. There were patches of ground into which a small boy could sink and disappear. The prison itself was a large, sprawling complex of wooden huts that looked to be half sunken in an earth that was aggressive in its softness. Contrary to his expectations, the prison was quiet, remarkably so. There was nothing at all like the prison in the city, and it was much more intimidating for that. Everything here was repression, stifling, negating, sucking, and compressing. He was brought there on his first day in an old green truck that seemed about to die at any moment, but which he was told had been working consistently for more than 20 years. He worried more about its great weight sinking into the earth, the earth that was so weirdly lacking in solidity. He had a brief meeting with the head guard, a man, a man named Dimitrov, the man looked like a large rock and spoke only a little more than you might expect a rock to speak. He sat as if rooted through the floor into the swampy soil beneath his small and mostly empty office, blinking slowly like a toad as he spoke. Go with Kirill, he pointed without putting any energy into the gesture at a tall, skinny young officer with the palest complexion the guard had ever seen. He will show you the facility. With that, he was clearly done. Kirill seemed a shy individual. His words were few, his gestures measured, his eye contact minimal, and he clearly respected the silence of the place. They walked slowly through a series of dormitories and then to a central block containing common rooms, a library, a large kitchen and a canteen. The place was as clean and as well organized as it was soundless. Turning a corner, he encountered the first convicts as an explorer might first encounter a new series species of ape in the jungle with a recognition that something has irrevocably changed from one moment to the next, but also that the exact moment of change was lost before it was acknowledged. It was like crossing a bridge. On each side, there was a definite reality. The bridge itself was an in-between space. He found himself generally comfortable in those limbo places, insulated from the responsibilities inherent in the two streams of history that flowed relentlessly past the borders of that notional empty place. He could not live in that place, however. If it was comfortable and welcoming, it was also deathly. The world is the only place in which we can live. The convicts wore loose brown cotton trousers and jackets. Their skin was uniformly grey from chronic lack of vitamin D. But even men who have been made by outside forces, uniform to their very skin, find distinctions and create rank. And they sat in small groups according to their position within the convict hierarchy. Some nodded to Kirill and most did not. No one spoke. 
At the center of the complex, in one of the two common rooms, they encountered a group of older men. They were gathered loosely around one figure. Kirill addressed the man respectfully. Good morning, Lenomad. Lenomad was a tiny man lost in his convict's, convict's uniform. He looked as delicate as the tiny lizards that ran between the rocks outside the walls. He exuded quiet as he nodded ever so delicately towards Kirill while fixing his gaze on the new man. The guard instantly understood. It was the engine that produced the strange quiet of the whole complex. Lenormand had been reading a book, holding it close to his eyes. He had poor eyesight, but he did not believe in glasses, believing them to be a sign of weakness. He sipped a cup of tea, pecking at it like a bird. A prop, the guard, the guard thought. He wondered if the man even tasted the tea, if cold-blooded animals enjoyed such things. The older man raised a finger slightly, not aggressively, but with an air of assured authority. Come closer to me, new man. He had no accent. His words evaporated so quickly that it was as if they had never been spoken, as if they were designed to create no record. We do not raise our voices here, you will have noticed. The guard stepped forward and said nothing. He would allow this man to reveal himself as far he was willing to, as far as he was willing to. Many of the men here are members of organized criminal gangs. They are considered hardened criminals with no hope of rehabilitation and their sentences are open-ended. These men will die within this complex. What life is left within their reach will be lived, bordered by the swamp that surrounds us. Some of the men are perverts, serial rapists or pedophiles. We have all kinds of desperate men here and yet it is, as you can see, quiet, and undramatic. There are rules here and everyone has his role. I hope you will find your role and until then walk softly, taking no steps from which you cannot retreat. The earth hereabout records every move and not a single one can be forgotten. The guard was about to speak but Kirill tapped him on the shoulder and ushered him away. It was not required that he answer. The audience was over. They spoke very little as they continued their tour. In the, day, in the days that followed, the guard observed the convicts and allowed himself time to see how things worked in the prison. That had always been his intention. There had, there had been no need for the warning to take his time and pray carefully. Lenormand was clearly at the top. The convicts were strictly delineated into categories within a hierarchy of their own making. The more senior members of the larger organized crime groups were the most privileged and also had the most responsibility. They had a cadre of hardened, violent subordinates who kept order. Homosexuals had a floating category of their own, nominally low status, booked tactfully acknowledged as an essential part of the prison environment. 
small-time criminals were above those of non-career criminal backgrounds who had found themselves convicted due to bad decisions, bad politics, or bad luck. Pedophiles and other sex criminals were at the bottom of the ladder and were more or less completely segregated. They had their own power structure based on a balance of physical strength and a kind of seniority based on the gravity, brutality, and longevity of their criminal activities. Leon Mand controlled everything with the strictest military-style discipline, exemplified by the imposition of general silence. No criminal environment, indeed, no society, maintains, maintains itself without the threat and existence of violence. Beatings, stabbings, rape, all played an integral part in the life of the prison, but quietly, behind the scenes, away from the eyes of the staff. The Unamand had made, had made sure that the staff were not allowed to make the mistake of thinking they ran the institution. They were even denied the opportunity to see the actual exercise of power. They had that revealed to them only by the results. There were endless games of chess. Most of the men played, though a few preferred checkers. They fashioned the pieces themselves. They used bark to surface the wooden boards. Some of the sets were crude, others better carves. Some were real works of art. Lino Mand possessed a checker set in which every disc featured an intricately, delicately portrayed saint of the church. They were beautiful and the guard could not help but covet them. He had always been attracted to the lives of the saints. For a time, when he was young, he had thought of saint as a legitimate career option. Leonor Mann's taste clearly ran towards visionaries, artists and writers. John the Russian was there, Basil, Kalika, Cyril. His favorite piece was clearly Fedor Kuzmich. The man, they said, had in fact been Alexander I, and had faked his death to reinvent himself as a hermit. He would pick that piece up sometimes and turn it over and over for long periods, like a rosary breed. The guard particularly liked one depicting Saint Seraphim, he who was loved by the animals of the forest, in conversation with a bear. He kept a small medal of that saint, given to him by his mother when he was a child, deep in one of his pockets every day. He never wore it and seldom thought of it, but he loved it. It was on the second day of the second week that the guard noticed the man. He was sitting alone in the canteen with no food in front of him. He was tall and thin, even by the standards here, but curled into a stooped posture, his eyes fixed on the floor. His typical convict's pale complexion was nearly complete, completely covered by a patchwork of bruises and cuts, shifting, oozing purples and yellows. His left eye was swollen almost completely closed. His right eye was bloodshot and waxy. He had, he had the air of a man completely beaten. The guard was about to approach him when he felt a hand lightly touching his elbow. He turned to find Linomand fixing him with a steady gaze. The man raised his voice, and here we mustn't do that, 
The guard was in instantly inclined to simply walk towards the beaten man, but Linomand gripped him a little harder. Maintaining peace in a place like this is very complex. Rules need to be rigorously enforced. You are just beginning your time here. Take the time to study. In time, you will see the wisdom of how things are run here. The man, of course, did more than break the silence. Understand the way we speak. Until you do, remember you are a foreigner in a foreign land. The guard found himself unable to move. He was not prepared to make this decision at this precise moment. It was too much weight to move without warning. Excuse me. Kirill had appeared. His usually flaccid presence suddenly filled out and urgent. You are needed in the guard room. The guard was relieved to be able to walk away. He noticed Kirill was shaking and they were not going to the guard room and he was not surprised. What are you doing? Kirill hissed, his voice filled with real fear. The guard did not answer. Are you trying to cause trouble for us all? Do you understand what kind of men we have here? What kind of monsters? Linomand keeps everything quiet here, but make no mistake, this is hell, and Linomand is the devil. What he does to maintain order that we do not see, let him do. Without him, we could not keep this place from degenerating into chaos. There were not enough of us. We are not important enough. No one would come to help us, and we, were, and we are not, I trust in God, evil enough. The guard had nothing to say. He needed distance from this situation. He needed to get home to find some time to think. He nodded twice, trying to communicate a sense of grave but non-committal understanding. He spent the remainder of the day trying to concentrate on the small details of his job, trying to keep himself to one side until he had the time to bring himself back together. At home, he helped his wife prepare food and they spoke about everyday comforting things, the weather, the contents of a letter she had received from an aunt she had been close to as a child. He ate slowly, prolonging the everyday easy pleasure. After eating dinner and putting the boy to bed, he took a small vodka outside and sat on the wooden bench of their small veranda. In the grey light, it felt as if the horizon did not exist, as if the grey, brown, dangerous nothingness of the swamp extended for an eternity. It was not an expansive feeling. The larger the vista, the more oppressive it became. He longed for a single tree to break the uniformity. He put his glass down on the bench beside him and closed his eyes. It was clear that the power structure within the prison was turned on its head. Lino manned around the prison completely. His lieutenants enforced his will quietly but brutally and without fuss. He and the other guards were there for window dressing. At the border, he had felt that he could not have been a smaller part of the machine. Here, he realized he was even more powerless. He could simply accept the situation as everybody else in the staff seemed to have done. That would be the sensible thing to do. It might well be the only practical thing to do, but the idea made his skin crawl. A small price to pay for a good job, a good house for his family and safety, above all safety. Many people lived and died exactly that way. Good people, people not to be looked down on. Did he think that he was special? He had responsibilities. 
He had his wife and son to think about. What kind of man would risk the security of his family for what may account to nothing but ego? He also had a job that came with responsibilities. He did not aspire to being a uniform empty of substance for his entire career. The men he worked with had already begun to appear to him as ghosts of themselves, poor reflections of the people they pretended to be in their official lives. Whatever he did, if he decided to do anything, he would have to plan carefully. He knew that he had no power, so he would have to study the workings of the prison until he could find a weakness in Leon Mann's grip of the place, if such a thing existed, so that he could effect some change and try to keep himself reasonably protected. He did not want to make himself a martyr. The next day, the beaten man looked worse. The guard wondered if he was even getting water. He wondered if he had moved. That night he dreamed of the body that had slowly lost its life by the wall when he had guarded the border. He saw once again the body go through the process of losing the integrity of its form. He saw the animals help to take it to pieces. He lay awake beside his wife and tried to remain, to remain as still as possible so as not to disturb her. He had not dreamed of the body for a long time. Then he had been unable to do anything. Perhaps this was the time to do something, something small that need not be noticed. Was that possible? Everything was noticed in the deadly silence of the prison. Everything was seen. In the end, conscious thought and decision-making took no hand or part in what he did. He was acting before he knew he was. The man was still in his place. The guard now thought of it as his place, as though he were a piece of furniture. He wondered if the man was dead. He didn't move and seemed to be held upright by some invisible force of physics independent entirely from whatever he was or might have been, divorced from any personal volition that might once have moved him. There was no physical barrier between the two men, no wall, no machine guns, or no man's land. To leave him to his fate, to simply pretend he didn't exist, to allow his existence to be utterly negated by Lino Mand was impossible. He took only a, it took only a few strides for the guard to reach the man and take him by the shoulders. His eyes flickered and his head barely turned. He seemed to say something, but his voice was too weak to be heard. The guard lifted him and led him to the infirmary. No one spoke, but all eyes stared, some in disbelief or surprise, some others in hot anger. Lino Mand was the first to look away. His gaze showed no emotion. He simply registered what was happening and went back to his cup of tea. The medic on duty, one Ruslan Steiner, looked at them just long enough for his jaw to drop open, then left the infirmary. The guard and the sick man were alone. The guard laid the man on one of the wooden cots. He felt for a pulse. It was deep and weak, but it was present. His wounds were healing very slowly. He did not respond to anything the guard said. The guard found the me medical cabinets open and located a pack of saline solution. He connected it to a line. He pulled the sleeve back from the right arm of the other, revealing paper-thin, horribly gray skin. He could not see a vein. He removed his belt and looped it around the lower biceps. He pulled the belt tight and waved. A vein revealed itself slowly like a leech growing fat with a meal. He pushed the needle softly into the vein and 
taped it down. He loosened and removed the belt. With that, he had exhausted his applicable medical knowledge. The day, a normal day, waited for him outside. He wondered if the man was in pain. His weakened body was giving nothing away, but how hungrily it must have been gorging on the salt and water down into its cells. That night at home, the guard watched his own life as if from a distance. It was a thing of almost impossible wonder. The next morning he went to the infirmary. The man was gone. He asked the medic, Steiner, what had happened to the convict he had brought in yesterday. Steiner paused for a moment, clearly thinking of a lie, then gave up and simply walked out again. The guard went straight to the Mitros office. He did not knock. Where is he? Dimitrov looked at the guard and immediately away from him again. He looked behind him into the back right corner of the room. The guard turned. There was one of Lino Man's lieutenants fixing them both with a hard stare. The lieutenant spoke directly to Dimitrov, to Dimitrov. Deal with it. He left without looking at the guard. Dimitrov looked down at his desk, his face growing red. The guard waited for the explosion. When it came, the senior man's words spat and hissed out of him like water from a frozen hose pipe. You fucking asshole. It occurred to the guard that these were the first profanities he had heard uttered in this place. What do you want me to do? You have just arrived and already you are putting the cat amongst the pigeons. Am I supposed to protect you? What do I owe you? Now I must lose face or anger, lean mad, and I cannot do that. Get out. Get out. The guard began to speak. I do not want to be a burden. Shut up, you fool. Shut up. You have nothing to say. I don't want to hear a single word from you. Are you a child who understands nothing of how the world works? Am I running a kindergarten? Don't speak. Get out and let me see if I can save you. But understand it will not be at my cost. Not at mine, no. I will give nothing to save you. And if you are already lost, so be it. The following day, the beaten man was back. His body was back. He was, it was, lying dead in the little morgue. The guard was taken to see the body by two police officers who had made the long journey from the nearest town. They were tired from their journey and their tempers were short. They had been waiting for him when the guard hopped down from the transport truck to begin his shift. They spoke little to him and nudged him along with little shoves on his shoulders. You, come with us, move along. They would not give the guard any explanation regarding their presence in the prison or their interest in him. The three of them stood before the dead man on his narrow slab. What a small amount of space we occupy, the guard found himself thinking. And this man will occupy less and less space from now on. Soon he will be gone. We know you did it, the taller of the two police officers spoke, but tell us why. The guard was surprised only by his own lack of surprise. He found he had nothing to say. We have enough witnesses to prove that you are the one who beat this man. We don't really need to know why, but we like to understand everything, then with some emphasis, and we would and we would like very much to hear you say it with your own voice, what you did and why you did it. You are finished, you understand. Open and shut case, as they say, but 
but it is best if you tell us why you did it. The guard looked around him slowly. He saw a morgue attendant, the two police officers, the dead man, in a greeny gray, cold little room. His life had changed. His life had been, in a sense, taken away from him at that moment, and there was nothing to say. His silence was not equal to the moment. It was neither grave nor dignified. It was simply that there were no words to meet this moment. As they led him out, they passed Lenormand. He stopped and stared at the old man. He felt the anger swell up in him in a great surge. He saw himself ripping this fragile, evil old reptile to pieces. It was a pleasure to imagine himself pulling the body of this loathsome creature apart piece by piece. He enjoyed it more the more bloody and anatomically detailed the images were. How good, how good it would feel to smash this man until he was completely broken down and sundered. If you could destroy his body, then maybe you could destroy him, his life and his influence, the world that Lena Mann ran and oversaw. He could be smashed like a piece of glass, pulled apart like bread. The guard could render him so thin and so disconnected that it would be as if he had never existed and the forces that had created him were destroyed and disconnected also. A line back to the Bible, back to the origins of life, uh, back to the Bible, back to the origins of life would be obliterated. The stain of evil would be dismissed, erased forever. The ability of people to be decent and caring, to help when needed, and to mind their own business when needed, would be allowed to emerge from the shadows of repression, control, and violence, from shame and hate and revision. The guard would happily render Nino Mand to offal with his teeth and his nails. The cheaper, the nastier, the bloodier, the uglier, the better, the better, the better. Total